0: So before we read Psalm 6, I want to ask you to just open your Bibles um, and put a bookmark or a finger or a pen or something in Hebrews 12, because very soon I want to ask you to just flip to Hebrews 12 for a couple of verses, but we want to start first by reading Psalm 6. Okay, so Psalm 6. For the director of music with stringed instruments, according to Shemeneth, a psalm of David. Do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am faint. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord, how long? Turn, Lord, and deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love. Among the dead, no one proclaims your name. Who praises you from the grave? I'm worn out from my groaning. All night long, I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of all my foes. Away from me, all you who do evil. For the Lord has heard my weeping, the Lord has heard my cry for mercy, the Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies will be overwhelmed with shame and anguish, they will turn back and suddenly be put to shame. So far from God's word, that is Psalm 6. So it's been a blessing for me to prepare a message from Psalm 4, 5 and 6, the last three weeks, but I must say Psalm 6 for me has been by far the most challenging. And it's basically because Psalm 6 is just David crying out to the Lord. He just seems to be weeping and in deep distress the whole psalm. In Psalm 4 and 5 there was a bit of structure to the psalm, but Psalm 6 is just one of these... Weeping songs. There doesn't seem to be much progress in David's heart that we could clearly see in Psalm 4 and 5. And so it's, it's difficult. At first reading, but we always take God's word at what it says. So this is a weeping song. It's helpful then to understand that it's one of the seven penitential psalms. And the penitential psalms are psalms of deep sorrow. The other psalms are Psalm 32, Psalm 38, Psalm 51, Psalm 102, 130, and 143. And so seven in total is officially known as penitential psalms. So at least our, or my initial instinct of, The psalmist just seems to be David weeping is correct. So the early church used these seven psalms specifically in the week leading up to Easter Friday to have the congregation sing these psalms to encourage them to cry out to the Lord and to encourage the church to confess their sin before the Lord. Again, like the previous two, the psalm starts by saying a psalm of David, so that's an easy one for us to get. Psalm, uh, David wrote the psalm. But different to psalm 4, 5, uh, 4 and 5, we don't know when the psalm is written. Some scholars argue it was in his early 30s, but the evidence is scarce. So my conclusion is that it's unknown. We don't know when King David wrote this psalm. So that is different from the previous psalms. And then we see in the instruction that it's with stringed instruments, but according to Shimoneth. Some of you might have the other translations open, and they translate it as meaning an eight-stringed harp. So that's also different to the previous weeks. It's with stringed instruments, but very specifically with an eight-stringed harp. So in general, we can say David is in distress in Psalm 6. It's clear that he is in trouble and in distress, and for that bit, it's no different than Psalm 4, 4 and 5. Remember, Psalm 4 and 5 was when he was pursued by his son Absalom and his army, so he was in distress then as well. But what's different here? is that David is not in distress in Psalm 6 because of somebody pursuing him. He's in distress because he's done something wrong. He's in distress because he's being rebuked by the Lord because of his sin. And we'll work through this as we go through Psalm 6. And then the other challenging question for us this morning is, where is Jesus in Psalm 6? Remember last week we said the Old Testament is Christ concealed, New Testament Christ revealed. So where is Christ concealed in these ten verses? Hopefully, we pray that the Lord will reveal this to us as we work through the ten verses. We'll start at verse one. David prays, Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. So like I said, we don't know exactly what the situation was or even how old David was when this was written. However, he cries out, do not rebuke me in your anger. So it's clear David understands that the Lord's angry with him. The Lord's not pleased with him. He's done something wrong. David senses that he's being rebuked. And so he's crying out to God. He's saying, Lord, please don't give me the punishment that I deserve. I know I deserve punishment, but please, I know you're angry. Please have mercy. That's where David's heart's at. David prays, do not discipline me in your wrath. The King James translates this as, chasten me in your hot displeasure. The Dutch and Afrikaans translation reads, there's only a few that would understand that. But the word grimmigheid, it just sounds angry. <laughs> so you don't have to understand. It just sounds angry. But we, we saw the same last week in Psalm 5, that the Lord is not pleased with people that do wrong. And this is still the case. Nothing has changed. To the unbeliever the Lord's chastening hand is a sign of his wrath to the unbeliever because God is angry. His, his anger burns towards sin. But to the believer, the Lord's chastening hand is not a sign of his anger. To the believer, it's rather a sign of his adoption. Now why I asked you to open up a, a Hebrews 12. Flip to Hebrews 12, if you will, verse 5. Just read there with me. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord's discipline—sorry, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves; he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children, for what children are not disciplined by their father? We also read this morning, Raph read for us from James, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So we know that we need to look at Psalm 6 through these lenses. However, it's important for us to mention that there are times that the Lord rebukes us. There's times that we think that we are being rebuked by the Lord, but we need to be cautious to think that all troubles and suffering in our lives is because of the Lord's chastening. As the readers of Psalm 6 today in the New Testament period with Christ revealed to us, we need to be conscious of how we read Psalm 6 and how we interpret the troubled times in our own lives and how the Lord chastens us. Trouble and suffering is not always a sign of the Lord's chastening. We saw this last year for 30-plus weeks, going through the book of Job, that there are many, many complexities to suffering. I say this just to provide the right context, but it remains true that there are times where the Lord is disciplining His children. And I believe that is what's happening here in Psalm 6. I'm only highlighting the fact that it's not a universal truth Remember, we said from the book of Job, God is not, we don't have a transactional faith. We do this and then God does that. That's not how it works. Also, remember that David here is living in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant. He's, he's looking and he's singing these Psalms with an Old Testament filter. The wrath, the anger, the hot displeasure, the chrmachheid of God. As David sees it is through Old Testament eyes. He does not have the confidence that we have in the work of Christ. David was not sure if the God has accepted his sacrifice. He lived before the finished work of Christ. On this side of the cross, we know we are saved in credit. Now we know David was saved in debit. For the accountants, you'd understand that. But all are saved by Christ. Either before the cross or after the cross, we're saved by Christ's sacrifice. But of course, David did not completely understand it this way because it was still concealed. But we know today that God's anger against sin, this anger that David is pleading for God, please do not rebuke me in your anger, this anger has been poured out on Jesus. This we know today. In Isaiah 53 we read, He was pierced for our transgressions, He was crushed for our iniquities, He was punished, and His punishment brought us peace, and by His wounds we are healed further on in Isaiah 53, yet it was Yahweh's purpose to crush him, that is Jesus, and cause him, that is Jesus, to suffer. So this plan was completely amongst the Trinity to save us. We had no input in that plan. God the Father willed for Jesus to pay the price. In 1 John 4, we also read, In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sin. I don't know why I choose sermons where I have to use all these difficult words. Like with the the creed as well. Um, Propitiation, what does that mean? So Jesus is our propitiation. Propitiation, to propitiate means to do something. Propitiation means that something needs to be done to restore the relationship with God. We have a broken relationship. In other words, we have this problem that is sin, and something needs to be done to restore that. That's to propitiate. Propitiation means the act of actually doing the something that is needed to restore the relationship. That's propitiation. And we see that in Jesus, these conditions are completely met. They are fully satisfied. And it's not by my design, but it's also not coincidence that we went through the Athanasian Creed this morning. That's why it's so important to understand the incarnation of Jesus and how he has a divine and a human nature. Truly man, truly God. Jesus is not simply the propitiator, he's also the propitiation. So the work and the life of Jesus, the person, the work and the life of Jesus, is what satisfies God's justice. I say all this to give us the right context to look at Psalm 6. So we're looking at Psalm 6 from a New Testament perspective, and we need to understand that the Lord does not chasten us out of anger. He chastens us out of love. It's because of His great love. But to those that have not put their faith in Christ, you have to be warned. If you have not placed your faith in Christ... There's a dire warning here. The reality is that you are a sinful person in the hands of an angry God. And his anger burns against you and your sin. This is what it means. And and this is why David continues in verse 4 and he pleads for mercy. Sorry, verse 2. Have mercy on me, Lord is his very next words. Have mercy on me, Lord. I am faint. Heal me. My bones are in agony. So David is crushed by this realization. I'm sinful. I'm a sinful person in the hands of an angry God. Do not punish me, Lord, because I'm not strong enough to bear it. So the first and most obvious thing we see here is that David is suffering physically. He's weak, hasn't got energy to continue. But also the second layer here is that he's spiritually weak. And he's in spiritual anguish or pain. I say this because he continues verse 3. My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord, how long? So David's physical pain and his... Spiritual pain is connected. We know that the two cannot be separated. So this situation that is affecting David is driving him to the point where he's physically depleted, but he's also spiritually depleted. David's, if I can use Jonah's analogy, David's at the bottom of the sea, at the base of the mountains. He's descending into the depths. There's no light. He's got no energy left. In today's word, we'd say he's knackered. He's done. He's kaput. And so we see David's very next thing, same as Jonah. He calls out to the Lord. Verse 4, turn, Lord, and deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love. So there's some real urgency here in David's plea. He's he's come to the end of himself. And he's weeping. He's crying. And he's saying, how long, Lord, will you still punish me? How long will your anger burn against me? How long will it be until you hear me again? And did you notice David saying, turn, Lord? So David would have been... Very familiar with the ironic blessing of Numbers 6. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. So David is feeling the complete opposite of this. He's feeling cursed by God because he's asking God, please turn your face toward me again. But despite this dark and hopeless condition that David is in, he still holds on to the one foundation that we also saw in Psalm 5 verse 7, and that is God's unfailing love. He says, please save me, Lord, because of your unfailing love. David's appealing to the Lord's unfailing love as his firm footing. So we can see Kind of David slowly finding some firm footing again. Like in Psalm 40, says, The Lord lifted me out of the pit, the miry pit, out of the mud, but then he placed me on a rock. So here's David's feet is being placed on some firm footing again. And it starts by calling out for the Lord's unfailing love. He then says, verse 5, Among the dead no one proclaims your name. Who praises you from the grave? That's true, indeed. Nobody can speak or do anything once they are dead. David felt this way, and he was obviously so weak that he was thinking about death. But he also understood that once his life is over, he would have no more opportunity to worship the Lord no more opportunity to participate and bring glory to God. So David's in agony and he seems to be walking through the shadow of death, similar to Psalm 23. And he's contemplating the precious nature of life and the life-giving breath that God has given him. And that if he's to die, he cannot praise the Lord anymore. But a quick, just stop and hear this. This is not a proof text for soul sleep. Those who are familiar with that, soul sleep is the belief that when we die, we are oblivious of anything until Jesus comes again. So we're effectively sleeping and are risen again when Jesus comes. This is not proof text for that. David is contemplating his physical life. The New Testament clearly teaches. Jesus said to the robber next to him, Surely, I say to you, tonight you will be with me in paradise. There's no intermediate period when we die. Sorry, back to verse 6. David then continues, I'm worn out from my groaning all night long. I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of my foes. So David's poetically describing his condition as he's weeping. He couldn't sleep, he cried, he was on his bed, on his couch, depressed. But of course, we also understand that this is poetic exaggeration. The King James says that I made my bed swim in tears and my couch flooded, of course. His bed did not swim and his couch did not flow out the door because of his tears. Also, his eyes grow weak. I suspect it's because he was crying and his eyes were sore and tired, not because he couldn't see anymore. But that's a a reminder that the Psalms is Hebrew poetry, and it's done to place emphasis Now from verse 8 we see David finding some more footing and he's becoming a bit bolder from the, the desperate situation that he was in. He says, away from me all you who do evil, for the Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayer. So David's saying here, the Lord is hearing my voice of weeping, my voice of crying. And crying has a voice before the Lord. I know last week we said that when we pray, we need to be very conscious when we approach God to understand who He is and spend time glorifying the person of God. But we also have situations in our lives where we just cry out to God. In the moment, Lord, have mercy. And so the Lord doesn't honor the emotion the emotion of our prayer. He honors the heart of our prayer. So the Lord is not necessarily impressed by emotion. The Lord looks through all of that and he sees the heart of where it comes from. And so with David, we see that it's an honest heart. It's an humble heart. Charles Spurgeon writes, Is it not sweet to believe that our tears are understood even when words fail? let us learn to think of tears as liquid prayers. And when those tears come from a heart that loves the Lord and has placed your trust and your faith in Jesus, yes, our tears are prayers. And just for interest's sake, I'll point you to the the poetic repetition again here in verse 8 and 9. The Lord has heard my weeping, verse 8. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy, verse 9. The Lord accepts my prayer, verse 9. So the Lord hears, the Lord hears, the Lord accepts. To place emphasis on the fact that the Lord listens. Through his unfailing love to those that place their trust in him, he does, he listens. All my enemies will be overwhelmed, verse 10, with shame and anguish. They will turn back and suddenly be put to shame. So David closes out his prayer with this newfound boldness that was not evident at the start of his prayer. And this boldness is based on the fact that the Lord has heard his prayer. Through the Lord's unfailing love, David knew that he had entrance to the house of the Lord. And because he had entrance, the Lord heard his prayer. And so David is quite confident that the Lord is about to act on his behalf. That's what that confidence means. It's not just a spiritual confidence, but it's also a physical confidence in this world that the Lord will act on his behalf. So that's the ten verses of Psalm 6. So where is Jesus? in Psalm 6. Well, we discussed adoption in verse 1. We looked at Hebrews. And we know from John chapter 1, verse 12, that when we place our faith in Jesus, we become His children. Adopted children of the Lord Jesus. So there's one. Verse 1. Verse 3 we also Jesus we also see that Jesus is the one who cried out in his darkest hour we saw in verse 3 David's darkest hour in Matthew 27 verse 45 Jesus in his darkest hour cried out my lord my lord why have you forsaken me but then we also see in verse 9 That the Lord answered Jesus' prayers with the same confidence as David knows that God is listening. Jesus prayed before his baptism, and the heavens opened up, and God the Father audibly spoke and said, This is the Son. This is my beloved Son. Jesus prayed before performing miracles, before feeding thousands and the miracles happened. Jesus prayed for wisdom before teaching, and he received wisdom. Jesus prayed before the transfiguration, and actually during his prayer, he was transfigured. So we also see that Jesus is the one whose prayers are answered. And then, of course, the one returning from the grave, verse 5. David cries out, Among the dead, no one can proclaim your name. Who praises you from the grave? But we know that Jesus has returned from the grave. We know that Jesus is the one that rescues us from the grave. Luke 24 we read that the angels replied to the woman coming to the open grave, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here, he's risen. 1 Corinthians 15, we read, death has been swallowed up in victory. So for us, death is not our, the grave is not our end destination anymore. Through Jesus' sacrifice, He has rescued us from the grave. We don't have to say these desperate words from verse 5. Because we know that after death we will continue to worship the Lord. Because we will be with Him. Those that place their faith in Him. So even in our most darkest and desperate hour, I know this is a somber psalm. But the confidence that we get out of David's pleading and his weeping here before the Lord is that even in our darkest hour, we can have confidence that the Lord will save us, that he will hear us, that he will forgive us. Remember, David was here in his darkest hour because of his sin, because of something he's done. But through the Lord's great love, David is forgiven, David is made safe. And David has confidence to now tell his enemies, depart from me. And to say to his enemies, you will be shamed. Psalm 6 confirms to us that we are mortally wounded by sin. Our most desperate situation, our darkest hour, is understanding our sinful nature. And the moment that you place your, tra- your trust in Jesus is that most joyous moment when you are saved from that desperate mortal condition that we're in. And the same as David, we can return with confidence because of, of the Lord's undying love. By His undying love, we can have confidence for this year that's ahead because through His undying love, He hears us when we call, even in our darkest hour. And although this is a somber psalm, this should lift us up. This should make us smile and raise our hands in victory and say, yes, Lord, thank you. Psalm 6, I think, teaches us that our confidence and our boldness is in the person and the work of Jesus and how he has incarnated into this world and what he's done for us. The reality, the the historic reality of what was done. That is our confidence for this year that's ahead. Amen. I hope that that has been a blessing for you, Uh, musicians.